Hey, welcome to Vista Community Church Online. My name is Spencer Smith and I'm the production director here. We're so glad that you chose to worship with us today. We hope that this time will be encouraging, you'll sense God's presence and really be able to grow in your faith. So welcome to our online family. Let's worship our God together. All right, so I know I'm not, uh, I'm stating the obvious here. This season of life is the weirdest one I've ever been, been in. It is utterly strange. I'm just saying it straight out so that we can all just breathe and say, yes, this is weird. The, the most simple things in life we never had to think about before, we have to think about all the time now. Food, food, what are we doing for food? How, are we gonna go to the grocery store? I don't know, are we gonna go to the store? Are we gonna wear a mask and gloves? Which grocery are we gonna to? What's gonna be the pathway into the grocery store and out of the grocery store? And if you don't go to the grocery store, how are you gonna eat? Well, you order food. From there, I've never ordered food from there. No one delivers food from like Red Lobster, who does that? It's just like everything is strange. And don't touch anybody. Don't touch me. Don't, don't even look like you're going to touch me. Don't hug me. Uh, don't even be close enough to touch me. And if, and if you are going to touch me, which you shouldn't touch me, you should wear gloves and be bathed in some kind of anesthesia. I don't know. It's like the whole thing is weird. And don't plan for anything. Don't plan. You can't. <laughs> I don't know. Most of us live for like the next thing, whatever it is, the, the vacation, uh, the weekend, um, um, the summertime. Who knows what day it is? You can't look forward to the weekend. It could be the weekend for all we know. I don't, no one knows. It's all so strange. So what better way to uh, open uh, or end this series on aiming for great is a very weird text. So here we go, right? So from the book of Numbers, no one reads Numbers. It's the fourth book of the five oldest books in the, in the Bible. And this is what God said to Moses. This is written right there. Make a snake and put it on a pole. I don't know if God has ever asked you to do anything you don't understand. But if he hasn't, I have to wonder if you and I are trusting the same God. It is, it's impossible for my rational, geographically located, time-constrained mind to capture the inconceivable um, fullness of God, who is beyond time, ever-present. He's the completely other than anything I'm like, and he loves me. How could I possibly comprehend him? How could I understand everything that he is and is up to? I don't, I, I'm a pretty smart guy. I, I, have a, I have an aptitude for math, and I have a spatial kind of intelligence, and I could barely understand calculus, how am I going to, I can't understand calculus and I'm pretty, well, how can I understand, how can I begin to understand God? His ways are not my ways. Obviously, he's God, right? That, that almost goes without saying, but we tend to think we can capture God, understand God, uh, get our arms around him, our mind around him, but, but we can't. How, how could the painting, how could the artwork ever describe fully the painter? How, how could the machine uh, ever teach the engineer a lesson? It's, it's absurd. It's absurd. How could I ever fully hope to fully understand or explain God or how he works? God says it straight up through the prophet Isaiah. My thoughts 
This is God. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As though we need to like have this written for us. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Get used to this. God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are often unexplainable. And to bridge the gap of that, call it reason or explanation or understanding, faith will be necessary. Faith lives where where reason can't solve it, where explanation can't resolve it. The writer of Hebrews says, faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's not confidence in in what we have in a sense. It's confidence in what we hope for and assurance, assurance, certainty about what we do not see. Faith is required with God. And that's where we're going to finish up this series. We've been talking about aiming at great. Great in God's eyes. And the elements of greatness from God's perspective. And this could arguably be first because it's most important. Faith is always going to be central to godly greatness. There's a passage we're going to look at in John chapter 11. It's a pivotal passage in time and and for us in life uh, where, where Jesus is calling his followers to faith. I've asked our board of directors and our elders to read a passage, this was fun to do, to read a passage, this passage, John chapter 11. It's a three-minute video, so stand up, stretch, stretch real quick. It's a little bit, little bit lengthy. Get some popcorn, whatever you need to do. Uh, these, are, these, are, these are your directors and elders that lead church, um, and they're going to share the verse that are going to be our foundational text for today. It's about a friend of Jesus named Lazarus, who's the sister of Mary and Martha. And Lazarus got sick and eventually dies. And it tells the story of how strange this whole situation is. And more importantly, the faith that the disciples placed in Jesus through that process. Here they are. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. 
Jesus had been speaking about his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. On his, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to, to God. God. All right. <laughs> Thank you for that. That was, that was so much fun. Um, here in this miracle that we just read about, uh, well, we didn't read about the miracle yet. It's kind of the setup. Most of you know the story of Lazarus. Jesus eventually raises him from the dead, and he's been dead numerous days. But this whole story, rather, is Jesus' ministry is culminating. Uh, it's coming to the end. It won't be long now until he's dead. And he knows it. It's even fair to say that this miracle is kind of the last straw. This, this miracle, this occurrence, this really seals his fate. Listen to what he says, at least according to John, not too long after this incident and just before he's sentenced to die. It's not a very long time at all. He says this, the hour has come for the son of man. He's referring to himself to be glorified. No one knows exactly what that means but he's going to be glorified. Very truly, we know in, advance, in, in retrospect now that it means that he was going to be crucified, dead, buried, and raised again, that whole idea. But he says, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. And he says, anyone who loses their life, uh, or who loves their life will lose it. And while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life, he goes on to say, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, I, my servant, my servant also will be. You have to follow me, and you have to be with me. And then he finishes with this, my father will honor the one who serves me. He'll honor the one who serves me. Jesus is basically saying, um, hey, look, from an earthly point of view, this is going to go really, really badly from here on out. But if you keep following me, God will honor you. Faith will lead to godly greatness. Right? You, you see that transition? He's saying, look, if, you, if you're faithful to me, God will honor you. This, 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 is, this is where we have come up with this whole concept. We, we didn't come up with it. If you're aiming for great in God's kingdom, if you want to be great for God, you want your Christianity to be what it is supposed to be, 
Listen to the last four messages and then add this, which is faith will be central to it. Anyone who wants to be great in God's eyes must believe in the Son. Faith is the central element to godly greatness. And we're going to talk about four, I think we're going to talk about four aspects of faith in Jesus. It might be three. I don't remember. This, so here we go. Jesus set the setting you just heard. And then Jesus says this, this sickness will not end in death. The sickness will not end in death. How confusing must it have been for Jesus to say, this sickness will not end in death. And then three or four sentences later say, let me tell you this plainly, Lazarus is dead. How confusing must that have been? Talk about strange times. Talk about weirdness in where you are in life. Jesus is saying, this sickness will not end in death. Lazarus is dead. My first point might be obvious. Faith in Jesus is going to be somewhat strange. Get used to that. Faith in Jesus is going to be somewhat strange. And if it somehow is not strange to you, which to me means you're just not paying attention, <laughs> it is going to certainly be changed, cha- uh, strange to those without faith. Right? The whole idea of Christianity, if you do not have faith, is absurd. Whenever God asks someone to follow him, whether 3,500 years ago when he asked Moses to make a snake pole, or 2,000 years ago when he asked a fisherman to get out of his boat and walk to him on the water, or today when the Spirit of God moves and compels a person to believe in Jesus, it is all a little bit strange. It is not fully explainable. This gets even stranger. Listen to this. John chapter 3. This is Jesus talking. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Right? So Jesus is talking about that very thing that God told Moses to do. What would have been like 1,500 years ago for them. Right? Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Tell me this isn't weird. So the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. That is out the box, right? Jesus is saying, look, just like in the desert, 1,500 years ago, when God asked his snake-bitten, dying people to look at a bronze snake on a pole, because that's what was going on. The people of Israel had left Egypt. They're, They're wandering through the desert, learning who God is, listening to his voice, learning to go where he says to go. And then they are suddenly overrun by poisonous snakes that are biting them and killing them. And they're dying. And the solution was for Moses to put a bronze snake on a snake on a pole and people had to look at it. And they got better. Jesus is saying, that's kind of like me. It's kind of like me. Now, this really gets crazy. If you think about the beginning of all things, go back to the garden, Adam and Eve, right? Who was at the core of this whole sin thing that entered the world? It was a snake. They were snake-bitten, and because they were snake-bitten, they sinned. They walked away from God. They created this separation from God, and we live in that spiritual state of snake-bitten separation from God that we call sin. And Jesus is saying, just like the 
bronze snake up on a pole, made the snake-bitten, the literal snake-bitten people better. He says, me being raised up on a pole is going to make you spiritually healed. You, you, are, you and I are going to spiritually die apart from Jesus. And he says, I'm going to do what I need to do. And when you trust me, just like those in the Old Testament were healed from their snake bite, we will be healed from our snake bite of sin. Jesus is saying, it, it is going to be a crazy similar thing with me as it was with Moses and the, and the bronze snake. Whether I've done a good job of that or not, trust me, it makes complete sense in God's story. It's, it's, it's very cohesive. But it is straight up abnormal not to admit how abnormal it is to believe in a pattern and pattern your life according to a man who was lifted up to die on a pole. I just don't think it makes sense to the non-believing, unfaithful, God-resistant world to say that's normal. It's not. It's, it's not. It's, it's, it's unusual at the very least. It's somewhat strange. You could even call it weird. But that is precisely what Jesus is forecasting to them in this time. He's like, I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to be raised up to die for the sins of the world. And this Jesus is exactly unequivocally who God calls us to trust. Call it what you will. Strange, weird, normal, abnormal. I don't know. It's it's not your standard storyline. The Son of God was not raised up to positions of great honor. Should have been. He didn't rise up to power to rule the world. He could have easily. Instead, he laid it all down and was raised up instead on a pole, suffered what in earthly terms was a massive defeat in order to usher in an unseen, unprovable, unreasonable, eternal life for those who would be crazy enough to follow. The, the, the people of God of Jesus' day couldn't even em, em, gather it in. They couldn't embrace it. And the Greeks that lived around all of the Jews, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't make sense of it. The ancient people could barely deal with this whole concept. Listen to the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians. He says, Jewish, the Jews demand signs, signs, wonders, right? Amazing powers. And the Greeks look for wisdom. But, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, which is crazy. It's, it's strange. Uh, it's a stumbling block for the Jews, and it's, it's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Catch this. This is what we've been saying all morning. All afternoon or evening, whatever you like. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Faith is an upside down world. It is an odd thing. It is a little bit unusual, maybe a lot unusual. 
God asks Christians to live by faith that takes them into spaces that might, some might just call irresponsible. In times of, of difficulty, personal difficulty, God calls us, Jesus calls us into serving others. In times where, where we don't have much, uh, Jesus says, continue to give what you have. It, when, when someone strikes you on the left cheek, turn and let them strike you on the right cheek. When someone has been forcing you to carry their stuff for miles and miles, why don't you offer to carry their coat too and go another mile? The, the, the faith life that Jesus calls us into is upside down. But get used to it. If you're going to live by faith in Jesus, people are going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're odd. They're going to think you're strange. They might even think you're wrong. And God will ask you to do things that reinforce that view. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. You can't make anybody believe you can't force someone to put their faith in Jesus. All you can really do is acknowledge how strange it is, how inexplicable it really is, and then reaffirm that in spite of all of that, you believe. And let them deal with the strangeness of that, the depth of that, the power of that. To say you can't explain something and then say, I believe it, nonetheless, is the epitome of what faith is. Okay, so Jesus says this sickness is not going to end in death, and then Lazarus dies. And then he goes on to say, but it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Here's essentially what he's saying. Yes, Lazarus is actually going to die, but when he says the sickness will not end in death, what that means is, his life, Lazarus' situation, this whole event is not going to be defined by whether Lazarus lives or dies. That's not the end point of the story. That's not going to be the end point of Lazarus. What the end point, the upshot of this whole thing is going to be Jesus overcoming the very thing that infiltrates and impacts and, and immerses all of this world. Everything is dying. Only Jesus can change any of that. Only Jesus has power over death. So it doesn't matter how Lazarus' life ends. This is all about what Jesus is going to do with that death. That's where the story ends. Our lives, in a sense, are inconsequential. In a sense. You have great value in the kingdom. You have great value to others. You have great value in this world. But it doesn't really matter if you're doing great or you're doing poorly, if you are poor or you are rich, if you are sick, if you are well, if you're failing or if you're succeeding, whether you're living or dying, it doesn't really matter. Your life can still point to the one who matters. Your life can still point to and your faith can be connected to something beyond this world. There's nothing this world can do about that eternal stuff. That's what's going on here. Faith in Jesus, our second thing is, it points beyond this life. 
What will be the final point of your life? What will be the final statement of your funeral? I can tell you what gender your life is going to look like apart from Jesus. It's going to end with death and a list of overinflated accomplishments and attributes or a scramble to make your pitiful life sound good. That's it. It's going to end with death and some attempt to making your life either better than it was or sound good on some level. Apart from Jesus, you end up dead, covered with dirt. No matter how wonderful or disappointing your life was or is, apart from Jesus, your final resting place is in the ground. But in Jesus, life doesn't end with dead. Our body ends up there. But it doesn't end there. Because his life didn't end on the pole. His life didn't end on the grave. He was raised to new life, and now it doesn't end sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and he invites those who have faith to follow him into that space. Our current life is what it is. But faith allows us to live for something beyond this life. Jesus says that Lazarus' life and our Christian life isn't punctuated by death, but instead it is defined as a pointer to the one who transforms us into eternal life. And death just becomes a footnote. Faith is then an unwavering life in the midst of the life circumstances. It rejoices no matter what with eternal confidence. The faith that Jesus is asking his disciples to exhibit here in this story and, and for everyone is to live that way. Within minutes of learning that his brain cancer was inoperable, probably unsolvable, terminal, one of our elders, Tim Clark, knew that and declared, and I was sitting right there, that he was transitioning into what he called privileged space. Tim knew that in that moment that whatever life he had left was be going to be lived pointing to the future and not now. That the joy he had and the courage that he had and, and all that his life would be would be something that would point like a neon sign not to anything in this life that, but beyond this life. And that it would point to the one who can usher everyone or anyone there. The faith that Jesus asks us to exhibit is a faith that looks and lives in many ways beyond this life. Then we move on to verse 5 where Jesus says that he loves Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Well, you could just put this right into the, 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 the strange category. This doesn't even make sense. This violates our natural sensibilities. If he loved them, he should go to them, comfort them, and save Lazarus, the unnecessary process of dying. <laughs> seems heartless to us. It seems like we know Jesus is, is a compassionate 
compassionate person. We know God is, 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 is loving, loves all people. So we have to conclude then that this isn't so strange. It must be something better than what we see. It must be good and loving. If Jesus' ways were our ways, if God's intentions were our intentions, we would return to the comfort the sisters and save Lazarus' life. And in our view, that would be considerate and better and kind. But number three, faith holds that not only are God's ways higher than my ways, but faith is always ready to imagine a greater good than what we can see. Faith always is ready to imagine God is up to something better than what we can imagine. You see, Jesus is going to be lifted up onto a pole. He's going to die. And he needs all of them to know that he is more than just a kind-hearted man. He is more than just a great teacher. He's more than a miracle worker, but he is one upon whom death has no hold. That's who he needed them to know. Jesus is ultimately concerned about our spiritual well-being, our eternal assurance, not our physical, current comfort and avoidance of pain. That's not it. That would actually be unloving. God is never late. God is never late. We think he is, and we suspect that he must be late, or he doesn't exist, or he's absent, because I'm suffering, or somebody is suffering, or I'm uncomfortable, or something is wrong, or something is unjust, or something's not fixed. Faith says, no, God is never late. He's always up to something good. God delays coming to our rescue because it's better that we not be rescued in that moment for our spiritual development, which is far more important. I know most of us want to be rescued right now from this pandemic. I made light of it to some degree to start the message, but the reality is it's tragic for most people. The death is overwhelming. The pain is rampant. Um, lives are being crushed. Economies are dying and people are losing what they've worked for. We're not being rescued right now. And faith says God's up to something. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we learning? What's going to stay with you? Faith says, I can stay right here as long as you need me to, God, as long as you say. What if you're going to be in this state of affairs for the rest of 2020? You're going to end up one of two things, an absolute wreck, or you'll be remade and reworked and transformed into something more of what God wants you to be. It's up to you. Faith says God is up to something better and far more good than we can imagine. I'm going to make the last point pretty quick here. Uh, the disciples say to, uh, or he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And they immediately pipe in and say, you know, when we were just there, they tried to stone you. And you're going to go back. 
And so he tells them, Lazarus is dead, which is shocking to them because the word was that he was sick. But now Jesus is saying he's dead. And they waited for two two, two days and now he's dead. But Jesus says, and I'm glad I was not there so that you might believe. See, he's saying this whole thing is about faith. Yes, it's strange, it's different, it's odd, it's upside down, but that's what faith is. It's not overly concerned about the circumstances of life, it's aimed beyond this life. And I am up to something good, and I need you to believe those things, so let us go to him. And then Thomas throws this in, this kicker. We'll finish with this. He says, well, let us also go that we may die with him. Crazy. It's no way to start a trip, but that's the kind of trip you're on if you're trusting Jesus and you're following him. It's a trip where we don't always know the outcome. It's a trip that can be pretty unsettling. It's a trip that can be and is, for the most part, unpredictable. That's the fourth thing. Faith is unpredictable. The life of faith is unpredictable. It puts us into unsettling spaces. Last question, what are you going to do? What should we do with this? What do we do with the, the, this definition of faith? Well, here's what's interesting. You go back to the Old Testament, you go back to Numbers, you go back to the verse we started with, where Moses was asked to put a gold serpent up on a pole so the people that were snake bitten and dying wouldn't die. And you know what they were instructed to do? Stare at it. Gaze at it. Sometimes the application of Scripture is complicated. Sometimes it's simple but challenging. Requires a lot from us. This application is pretty straightforward, pretty simple. You want to know the joy and the peace and the contentment and the, and the courage and and, and all the things that come from God in the midst of unpredictable times, in the midst of strange things, you want to point beyond the grave with your life, you want to have a deep inner confidence that God is good all the time, then you just need to look at Jesus. You need to stare at Jesus. You need to gaze at him. You need to remember again and again and again who he is, what he did, why he did it, what he's done for you. You need to open your scriptures and just read about him, hear about him, think about him, learn about him. Memorize what he said. Drive it into your head and down into your heart. Stare at him, gaze at him, look at him. Just don't get enough of Jesus. Is there a better time? Everything else we want to do, we can't do. If we're not staring at Jesus like five times or ten times more than we normally do, I don't know how, I don't know when we would ever do it. Now's the time. Stare at him. Gaze at him. And allow God to do some work inside of you, church, that can be done no other way but through faith in him. Go get him. Stare at him. Let me know how it goes.